Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Millennials Anonymous Podcast. Yes, it's your girl Lise Winnie and I am a millennial. I'm going to be good today, okay? I'm going to be very good today because we have the man of the cloth here. We have a man of the cloth. We have a pastor that is well, I guess he's a minister. I don't know the difference. I'm sorry. I've not been to church in many, many, many moons. Um, But he's a, a man of the cloth. I believe he's a minister. So I have to be good today, okay? So we are going to have author on Minister James LeBlanc. I'm excited to talk to him about his book, his upcoming memoir. So super excited to talk to him about that. And we had brunching. So brunching is on a break. We are on a hiatus, whatever you want to call it. We were on a break. We didn't record on Sunday, which is unusual because I've not missed a show of brunching since it started, okay? And we didn't do a break last season. We just went into the new season. So we completed 55 episodes this season. I'm so excited about that. We had amazing guests. We had Nokio from Drew Hill. We had Headcrack from Dish Nation. We had uh, comedian Ronnie Jordan on. You know, we had the founders of the 10K Project on. We had so many people. Uh, Lamont King on. We had so many people. And so I am excited about where brunching is going. It's bigger and better. And we're going to have some big changes coming. So make sure you stay tuned. Shout out to Ashley, the cannabis nurse, E Digger, and the guru for being a part of this season. So appreciate you. Appreciate you. And we did have a recap episode. So if you want to catch up on, you know, brunching, like what the hell happened? Like go back and listen and watch. Okay. On all major podcasts and platforms. And okay. Okay. And ow, you can watch it actually on Facebook or you can go to YouTube under Brunching Podcast and watch it there. Whatever, whatever suits you, whatever floats your boats, baby. Okay, okay. But let's get to these top 10 trending topics of the week because we get a lot of political stuff to happen last week. So let's get it. All right, so let's get into these top 10 trending topics of the week. So the Democrats had their national convention last week and they wrapped up and it got a A, not an A minus, not an A plus, but it was an A performance from the Democrats and an A performance for Joe Biden, who we set the bar so low. This is where we are in America. These are the choices that we have And we set the bar so low, you could not have slid a penny underneath that limbo bar because it was touching the floor. And we just wanted him to, if he said his name right, we would have been thrilled. And he really blew us away with the best speech that we could have gotten that was the most inspiring, uninspiring, most repetitive, non-repetitive, redundant speech we could have ever gotten. And it was so nice to see that people will no longer say that Joe Biden cannot do this job. But even if he couldn't and he fell asleep during the speech, I would still say, give me the Walking Dead for 400, Alex, because it's got to be better than this, what we have now. Um, And so we are going to do this as a country. 
make sure you get out there and you go vote for Uncle Joe who is doing the best he can. And he seems like he is a dude. He's a decent dude. And that is why we also have Miss Kamala. Miss Kamala Harris. Who is the VP. And that's why I'm, I'm not as worried. Okay. Because we do have somebody there. That will be vigilant um, throughout this. So I'm excited about that. But we made it. We made it, and now we will watch the train wreck that will be the Republican National Convention this week to see all of the nonsense that will come out of Donald Trump's mouth because he's going to be appearing not once, not twice, but every day of the convention, ladies and gentlemen. He could not give us more comedic material, and I appreciate him for that. So we are going to hear all the QAnon stuff, drink bleach, stand in light. We have it all coming. He's going to bring all his greatest hits and he might even start to lock her up. I don't know who he's going to lock up, but he's going to lock somebody up because it's just his, his, his shtick. Okay. It goes with the convention at this point. I don't know who he's going to have talk. I guess his kids and maybe a Muppet. I, I'm not sure because everybody else came to the Democratic National Convention. I, I, I don't know. But we will see what will happen. And speaking of not having it, Trump's sister. Okay, his niece has released some audio of Mary Trump. This is just Trump big sister. Okay, this is big sis. This is big sis. Okay. Big sis has said. This is what she has said. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come close. Big Sis has said that her little brother, okay, not the big brother, not the medium brother, the little, her little brother, not her littlest brother, it's not her youngest brother, but the little brother, she said he is unfit for office in newly released clips, and she says that he lies, he's just, she said the lies of it all, and so, I, listen, family no family, better than we can, who are we to tell Mary Trump she don't know her own brother, see, listen, Family be knowing, especially when you be brothers and sisters and you grow up in the same house. Because family, as a brother or sister, you know whether or not you had that little brother, sister, or big brother and sister that drank out the milk carton and they didn't, they dried out the carton. They, we knew that they was in the footies, they pissed in the bed. Like we knew what was going on with our brothers and sisters. We knew who the liar was. We knew who the one was. Even when our parents didn't want to admit it, they just, just they just couldn't deep down in their heart. It was like, oh, you really a screw up. The parents didn't want to admit it, but we knew. We was like, mm, y'all know, y'all know they is these prepants for some bail money because he is going straight to prison. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. we knew. And she knows her brother. Who are we to tell her otherwise? And that is why we need to get out and vote. And there's also some release audio of him talking about how great it was that there were so many people that didn't vote in 2016. He said it was great. Like, I thought he was the, the tiger from Frosted Flakes. They're great. Like, he was really happy about that. See, this is why I'm telling y'all. If you're poor or you're a minority... I need you to understand how important your vote is. I don't give a damn what people have been telling you. If your vote did not matter, why the hell do they care whether or not you vote? Your vote didn't matter. They wouldn't give a daggone if it's 25,000 of y'all in one line. I'm like, oh, that, it don't matter. They wouldn't get nervous. But when we mobilize and we try to get up out there to start getting people to vote, they get shooketh. 
okay? Because one of these parties, I'm not going to tell you which one, wins when people don't vote. This is just statistically how it is, is how it's always been. So make sure if you want to see something different than what we're seeing right now, okay? If you are poor and you are a minority, or if you are poor, you could be a poor white person, doesn't matter. You need to get up and you need to go vote. Just saying. That's all I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And speaking of people that just don't make no sense that's attached to Trump, Postmaster General DeJoy was actually on Capitol Hill like he was a bill sitting down on Capitol Hill on Friday explaining why he didn't know that the mailboxes were being removed after he said that they wouldn't. Now, listen. I need y'all to understand. We gotta make sure that this doesn't happen because this is voter suppression 101. If there was a book about voter suppression and Trump wrote it, this would be voter suppression 101, okay? It's trying to stop you from voting. But not only that, this is impacting y'all grandparents. Listen, you know how many people depend solely on USPS to deliver their medication? Listen, my millennials and Gen Z, everybody not priming, okay? Some people don't want the person to throw the package out the blue truck at your door. Like, sometimes people want them to stop. Like, they don't even stop. Amazon Prime just like, mm. they just throw that like they a picture in the ninth inning and they just keep going. Like, that's just how it, it works. But some people do. And so, a lot of older people, especially the elderly, are using this to get their medicine. And now they can't get their insulin, their blood pressure medicine, their inhalers. They can't get this stuff because the mail, the postal system is not delivering people's mail. If you've had some mail that has not gotten to you, chances are there's a reason for that. You know what I mean? So I just get out, just mobilize, get, get, get up, get up, get up, or y'all not gonna get y'all fashion overdresses. I'm telling you, you need, you want your fashion overdresses so you could take a picture or selfie of you going absolutely nowhere, eating food that you don't even like for Instagram and for TikTok. We, you need that, right? You need that in your life. Make sure you get up and go vote so you can continue to do that. And Meg and Cardi go number one, numero uno. They are number one on the Billboard charts with WAP. As Cardi B actually had a pretty good week. Not only did she go number one with WAP, she actually is giving away a million dollars, her and Meg, for women's empowerment. Now, I need all y'all women out there that said this this record, that's trash. Oh, and I don't like that filth and that music. Keep that same energy up. Now, I see y'all trying to get in these, sending out these tweets because y'all want that money. Nope. Keep that same energy. Keep that same energy that you had. Nope. WAP is not for you. Now, and this is, this is just a sidebar to a sidebar because I forgot to say this about WAP. WAP is actually a Baltimore club mix. It was made by Frank Ski. It, the name of the song, Sorry Pastor, is some whores in this house. So the song is actually a Baltimore sampled. It is dubbed off of that song, Some Whores in This House. And it sounds really similar. There's some whores in this house. 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 So that's why I think the song has a, a place in my heart because it, it has some Baltimore roots. It has some women's empowerment, women owning their sexuality. I appreciate that because if you own your sexuality, you can't you can't dictate what I do with it. So I appreciate Cardi and Meg. Again, congratulations to them. But listen, Cardi, I do want to say this though. If you if if you're if you're wop if you're whopping. 24-7, meaning morning, noon, and night. No matter where you go, it's just a lot of 
drippage. It's a lot of fluids. You need to go to the doctor. Because, I mean, I, I get it. Um, it's good to have that at certain times of the day or certain activities or certain things happening. If you're looking at something, I get that, okay? But if you are not in an aroused state and you are getting these fluids, listen, women, that's not cute. Please go seek a gynecologist, okay? You should not be whopping at breakfast like it you, we don't need you to, okay just just be safe as you interviewed joe articulate herself fairly well she said that she wanted health care for all she wanted free college education and she wanted some social justice so shout out to cardi b for getting out there and doing her political thing she really is out there doing it and meg had a week as well she actually finally admitted that tori lanes was the one who shot her in the foot and a lot of people were speculating this from the beginning of when this actually happened but she finally is no longer protecting him she went on instagram and she had this to say it ain't like a oh let me go run and tell my business to the internet let me go run and tell my business to the police like you know what i'm saying like, i ain't never been that type of person like about it yes this tory shot me you shot me and you got your publicist and your people going to these blogs lying and the police come i'm scared all this going on with the police the police is shooting my for anything the police was literally killing black people for no mother reason soon as the police tell us i'll get out the mother car the police is really aggressive you think i'm about to tell the police that we us black people got a gun in the car so she finally t told us what happened. Listen, there's no reason to defend Tory Lanez in this situation. There is no excuse for it. I've been hearing a lot of people defend him. Now listen, let me let me explain something to you, okay? My Gen my Gen Z and my millennials. Let me let me as a grandmama, grandma set millennial. Let me explain something to you. No one, if your parents didn't tell you this, grandma millennial lease is about to explain something to you that most of y'all don't know just from reading the comments no one can make you do anything if no one is has threatening threatening you or no one is in immediate danger to you or blackmailing you there's no one can make it even in those situations you still have a choice no one can make you do anything so if he shot her out of anger, he shot her because he was angry, which had absolutely nothing to do with her. She could have called him Sanford and Son hair. She could have said, you don't have no edges. She could have said, you around here looking like a Smurf. You shorter than an elf. Like she could have said whatever. She be five, four, five. Like she could have said whatever. She could have had her hand on her face. You know how we do uh, black women. I told you, like she could have been all of that finger pointed or it doesn't matter she have talked about his grandmother his grandmama and her dog it doesn't matter she can't make him shoot her he did that that's clown behavior it is unacceptable and we need to start understanding this the sooner we start understanding that no one can no matter what anybody says to you or does to you the actions you make are your own the sooner we know that, 
Trust me, stuff will start to change. I'm just saying, millennials. I'm just saying, that's not Meg's fault. And Nas drops a brand new rap album. It shows that rap is aging, and I'm happy about it because I'm glad we don't have to keep hearing whoop, there it is, on a goddamn loop. So thank you, Nas, for creating some adult contemporary hip-hop. It is very good. It's a little bit redundant in the sound, but I like it because it's the first time you've actually been able to listen to an album, a rap album, from cover to cover. I, I absolutely love it. Thank you, Nashir. We we love you. We love you for it. Kim Jong-un is now reportedly in a coma again, I guess. They, South Korea is Sam. They think he's in a coma. He delegated a, a, some of his tasks to his younger sister, and people are saying that he has a serious illness. We don't know what that is yet, but this is the second time in one year that they're saying that he's either incapacitated, he at first, I think earlier in the year, he had said he died. We don't know what's going on over there, but apparently he is not well. And Monica and Master P take shots at each other about getting out his brother, Corey Miller. Which is crazy to me. Master P was being interviewed and they were asking about him being interviewed. Uh, well, no, they were asking him about his brother and how he felt about Kim Kardashian and Monica and all these new people coming forward to try to get his brother out. And he said he was just hopes that they're doing it for the right reasons because he spent millions of dollars trying to get his brother out. And, you know, he didn't really say a whole lot wrong, but he did kind of talk a little bit about doing it for the right reasons and stuff like that. And I think that kind of raised Monica's antennas since she used to date C murder. And Monica came back on Twitter and she said, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but she said, I've been respectful towards you. And you have refused to do the same. You cannot speak on me because you don't know me. And I only have conversed with Silk. This matter is between you men, your brothers. Leave me out of it. This is because of my effort have been the same. Just didn't see the need to post it. Check the visiting list from the parish to Angola to Hunts or better yet, ask his children. Okay. And she says she contacted Kim seven months ago and he he's never not going to be able to depend on her. Okay. And so Master P says speaking the truth is not being disrespectful. It is reality. I don't know, and this is Master P, that you are lying and I ain't trying to get to know you just for the record. You stated you have been on C's visiting list in the parish and that's over 18 years now. And how long, and this is how long have you known Kim K.? You just now got your BFF to send out a tweet. I guess better now than never. And it says you've been married twice during this time since you are this ride or die. So he just was talking about he doesn't want, he wants the real agenda, like not somebody to be doing it just for the cause of it. He's spent millions of dollars trying to get his brother out. And it looks like eventually he did come back and he, he apologized to Monica but I, I could see where he might feel a certain kind of way people now want to get a little bit of fame and so sometimes people jump on it for the wrong reasons but I think Monica she seems pretty genuine so I I don't know who's, who's right or wrong in this particular situation and Aunt Becky from Full House actually only gets two months in prison for her role in this college scandal I I don't know how I feel about that I, I because there was a lot of fraud going on. I don't know. She got lucky. Miss Lori Lawton only is doing two months in prison. Ah, sounds about white. And and this has been the top 10 trending topics of the week. So let's get into the interview with author and minister James LeBlanc. I'm, I'm excited to speak with him. He did send me out his book, The Miracle. But 
something happened. I, I don't know what happened to him, but we're going to move past that. And he is someone who's gone through a lot. So he's an author. He has written a memoir which talks about his life. It recounts a life of growing up as a biracial kid who has endured through abuse, loneliness, addiction, and homelessness, as well as incarceration. So welcome to Millennials Anonymous. Tell us about growing up and give us your background. And and also I wanted to ask you before I even go there, how does a Cali guy end up in dc or like southern maryland how does that work it's all in the book no. okay. <laughs> I'm every time you ask a question i just get the book no, no but no. yes welcome mr leblanc so we have james leblanc here today so yes tell us a little bit about who who are you who is mr leblanc yeah 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 so um you know obviously not a millennial you know way too much gray but um okay. but uh i you know i'm from originally from california i was born in san francisco so I'm, I'm i'm from the bay area i found out later in life that i was actually conceived in washington dc i had no idea oh. um and then i was carried to california um and that's a long story that's a whole story in it in and of itself but um yeah i was born i was born an orphan my, my mom gave me up for adoption immediately so but you know i didn't have any of that i was adopted immediately right okay so I was adopted by a white family in berkeley california which was actually in 19 i'll give it up in 1969 you know, okay <laughs> um uh that wasn't very unusual in berkeley there's a, a bunch of um black and brown babies that were adopted by um, white folks um very liberal okay time, this is the time of the black panthers people's park a lot of social unrest a lot of change vietnam so to a young liberal white couple in berkeley you know they're they're thinking racism is going to be over soon you know okay. changing you know so and is that a affluent because when i hear berkeley yeah i think of a very affluent yeah area okay yeah, berkeley is is and that's that's funny because i grew up in an affluent neighborhood i definitely um berkeley is a, a college town cal uc berkeley um and it has you know, it's got the hood too, you know. Okay. Backlands, there's the hills, right? And the hills is where the, the rich folk live. And that's where I grew up. I grew up in the hills. We weren't rich. Um, okay. Uh, we were, um, my, my parents had received an inheritance and it allowed them to move out of the flatlands into the hills. And that was the end of the inheritance. So we, but we grew up gotcha. in a very affluent um, area, which, which was, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but it definitely gave me some advantages later in life, you know, as far as, you know, mingling, you know, wherever. But, um, so yeah, I was, I was adopted, um, by a white family of a white brother and sister. Both okay. Um, and, uh, you know, the first seven years of my life were fantastic. Just great memories, you know, camping, going swimming, going to the circus, going like, it was just a, a great my formative childhood years were were amazing, you know, and um, and then my parents got divorced, right? And all bets were off. It just the the the, the household just went into chaos. My mom won the custody battle. Custody battle. Okay. She had to go to work. Um, she went to work at Cal as a secretary, minimum wage. Um, 
but she worked her way through school. She ended up getting her doctorate degree in linguistics. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she got a doctorate the same year I graduated high school. <laughs> but all growing up, she was a student, um, struggling student. And we were very poor all of a sudden. And mm. uh, and there was, um, you know, um, you know, God rest her, her soul. She, um, you know, we, she started abusing us, you know, and it was, it was um, just a lot going on, you know, physical, mental, psychological, just uh, a lot. And, so um, that happened post divorce, where she yeah yeah it just I guess you know it just was too much you know and um, she was suddenly a single mother and and uh, we were a handful and uh, it was just you know it was you know a, a lot and my brother Chris he's a middle child he caught the worst of it I was the baby so I oh. didn't get it as bad but we all caught hell you know but Chris caught you know he kept running away from home you know the police would bring him home and you know he'd go over to neighbors houses and like hey we don't have any food can you feed me type thing and so they would call child protective services and finally they they, they did a bunch of investigations and they ended up um removing him from the home and okay and my mom relinquished um custody and uh, my dad was like he's too much for me so he went to foster care that had to be a full circle, though, for your mom to have adopted a child mm-hmm. and then given a child away. Yeah, yeah, it was like I say, there's just a lot going on. You know, I think she she kind of like had a breakdown for the for the most part, you know, and it just she wasn't the same person that adopted us, you know, and um, it was it, it got it got weird, you know, and um, and so but the message to me was um that it didn't really pay to love anybody or to connect with anyone because they're either gonna hurt you or they're gonna leave you know and, and that was the message that i got because chris left when i was 10. okay i left at seven my brother was 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 ripped out of our home when i was 10 and he was 12. and so you know that that's you know my point is is that you know that was when i was like you know all right i got it you know mm-hmm. i'm not gonna connect with anybody i'm gonna turn my emotions off and you know and and that's um not a great way to to operate you know <laughs> i so, can imagine i can yeah, imagine yeah. and so um my mom remarried when i was um 12 so there's five years in between marriages and those five years were were rough you know we were you know we were very poor and and um and you know like i said my brother would go to neighbor's house like can i get some food like we don't have any food literally you know and and um and but it was the the dichotomy was we, we grew up in an affluent area right so right surrounded by affluence and my friends i go to their houses i'm like <laughs> this is how i'm supposed to be living you know and um so i would do i would steal their toys you know i was just like because i didn't have anything i was like well i'm just gonna take so you know their parents would call my mom you know the whole thing but um but the point is it's like there was just so much going on that i i, I you know i wasn't liking reality you know so when i got old enough i started you know doing drugs now um I was introduced to weed by my mom, right? Really? Yeah, yeah. So, so she had a boyfriend growing up. Between those marriages, he would grow. He grew weed in the house, smoked it. Okay. You know, I got very used to it. I thought that's what grownups do, like, or at least some grownups. So I was like, I want to try it, you know. And um, so when I was twelve, for my twelfth birthday, my mom smoked a J with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so um. That's interesting because you don't hear usually you hear drugs attached to black households, 
not necessarily attached to white households. It was Berkeley, you know. Okay. <laughs> Berkeley, you know, it's all, all bets are off. But um, but yeah, so that's what happened, and um, and uh, and from then on, um, you know, drugs were, you know, an option for me. I'll just say, you know, weed was definitely a gateway drug for me. I know that's argued, you mm -hmm. know. For me, yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. it, it took away the, you know, the whatever, you know, the restriction, and and uh, I was I, I was I was down for whatever after that, you know. So okay, I mean that that's interesting, and, and I want to dive into that a little bit. But before we move on, because you were adopted by a white family, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things going on right now, and so I kind of want to ask you that about being a biracial kid and kind of like struggling with your identity is your biological mom also white or is she yeah yeah okay white. Yep. okay so your dad your biological dad is black yes okay so seeing a lot of the things that are going on with miss kamala harris you see a lot of attacks and it's not coming just from white people it's coming from black people of not being black enough like yeah. she's not black enough when you see that because a lot of times people don't talk about the plight of growing up mixed Right. When you see that, how does that make you feel? Do you feel that people should have to kind of choose the side? Do you go through that, like through your life as a kid? Did you yeah. have to really identify more so as white? Did kids, did you have to pick black? Like, how does that feel growing up feeling not black enough, but not white enough? I always identified as black, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy though, to your point, it's like I was surrounded by white people. Everybody in my house was white. Everybody in my neighborhood was white. I was the only black kid, but I never, I, I never had, um, you know, uh, I, I, I was never really confused about that. I, I, you know, um, now to your point about being black enough and all that, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's definitely those, those identity, you know, sort of issues like okay, well, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> who am I, you know, but, but society kind of, it's funny, if you, like, any mixed kid, well, I've heard, like, I heard Lisa Bonet say, I'm just Lisa, I'm not mm -hmm. black or white, I'm Lisa, and I'm like, that's some bull crap, you know, because, I mean, <laughs> really, as a mixed kid, that's, it's, it's not possible in America, it's not possible, like, I don't know, maybe in Hollywood, okay, where she lives, but anywhere else, you black, you know, it's, and, and, and society tells you that. Mm -hmm. You get followed around the stores. You get pulled over. You get like, like you get the whole experience, you know. And I see a lot of, you know, light skin or mixed, you know, folks like me trying to pat, you know, trying to be white, mm -hmm. and to, you know. And you know, it's it's it's. I mean, it is what it is. You are who you are. That's what you're comfortable at. That that's fine. But um, um, you know, it is. You know, I, I just. You know, I, I, I never was really confused about that, you know, and I grew up around all white people. Now, now the thing is, Berkeley's is a little different, though, because okay. it was really a thing, you know? I didn't get called a nigger until um, I moved to Maryland when I was really? in Maryland one year when I was in eighth grade. Okay. And that's when I got, that's when I really confronted racism, you know, in my face, you know, in, in Bethesda, Maryland, you know, and um. And uh, you know another kid, you know, called me the N word, and but with a hard ER on it, not you know, and um, and it was with hate, you know, mm -hmm. it was with hate and laughter and, and you know malice, you know, and uh, I was like, oh, you know, so um, so I guess my point is to answer your question, you know, if there is confusion, um, you know, America will let you know what you are, you know, and if, if you got if you got a drop of black in you, you black, 
Okay. You know, <laughs> did, so your mom, I know, did they always incorporate that? Was that something that they made sure that you you knew? Did you? Not really. Not, not really. Like, I, I always wish that she had tried. Now, I will say that she did. Um, when I was in sixth grade, she set me up with a with like a black sort of mentor. He was I would like I would go to his office. I guess he was a counselor or something. And okay. I would go there and talk and he gave me a book about Frederick Douglass and but I didn't we didn't really connect, you know, it was like, you know, I could tell this is something she felt she was supposed to do, you know. But if you're not really I mean, once, you know, an hour every two weeks, that's not gonna really make much of an impact, you know. And and so I just I got you know black culture from um <clears throat> from you know just going being with my friends you know going going to my friends homes and i always kind of prefer going over to my my black friends homes because the food was better okay. <laughs> <laughs> i could see i could see that i could see that and, um, there's just a certain, there's just a different, a different thing going on, you know. And it, I felt, I felt home. I never felt home at my white friends' homes, you know. Um, and so that's just, that's just my experience. I mean, I, I can't speak for every okay. racial person, but you know, that's just how, how it was for me. I could see that. I mean, definitely growing up in around more liberals, I would think you yeah. would have more of that flexibility, especially in a place like California. But you, you talked about abuse as a child and yeah. experiencing emotional abuse or in some levels of, I guess, physical abuse as well. And just mm -hmm. economically not being able to survive, being mm -hmm. impoverished in such a affluent area. Mm -hmm. How did the that abuse and that trauma actually push you down a life of, of despair? Because you said that marijuana yeah. was that sort of like the gateway, but... I'm sure that there was something else that sort of pushed you further. Oh, down yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I guess I should say that, you know, sort of like I always sought escape, you know, like even before I was introduced to drugs, I'd read a lot, right? Okay. And then people saw Jimmy, he reads a lot, that's great. And really it was me escaping reality, you know, it wasn't, you know, so, um, and then, you know, and then, and then the drugs. So, but, but yeah, it was, it was just a, a feeling of, I, I always felt kind of worthless. I felt like I didn't have worth. I felt like I, I, I was given away. And then like, I didn't know where I came from, who I was, you know, like, like I just, I'm here, you know, but then who, 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 who do I come from? You know what I mean? That's, that's every, again, it's a broad generalization, but I, I feel like it's every adopted, adopted person sort of, quandary is this hole in you it's like who do i come from like yeah okay you're my I, I get it you adopted me i grew up with you you're my mom but i didn't come from you you know like who are the people i came from you know and that's when you don't know that mm -hmm. you know it's like it's a big hole in your spirit in your soul and um for me it was it was it was a lot you know and i would see and then i didn't match like like my mom was white, right? So when we went to back to school, everybody else's parents matched, right? They <laughs> matched, you know, with mine, you know, like, you know, and then I started feeling embarrassed, right? And I'd walk behind her, you know, and stuff like that. You know, so it's like, I just wanted to know, you know, like. Do who, you know, like, did you ever meet your mom or did, do you know who your biological? Yes. 
got to read the book. No, I'm just <laughs> yes, I did. And that's kind of the culmination. That was really what drove me to write the book was actually meeting. I met my, my biological family almost three years ago now. So I was okay. 48 years old when I hugged my mother for the first time. And wow. I found out, I have all these pictures you can't see, but I have all these pictures of my um, biological dad, uncles. He died in 2007, so I never met him. Okay. But I have a lot of history. I have uh, a couple brothers, sisters now that I never knew. So it has filled that whole, you know, meeting. I mean, it's, I mean, that was a dream come true. That was like a needle in a haystack. That was, I was like, you know, as you know, I'm a, a man of faith, you know, but I, I was like, God, if you could just give me a picture, that's all I want, just a picture. So I know why I got this note. It was like, why, you know, is everybody bald? Like, what, what? You know? <laughs> and, um, but he did me so much better, you know, he, you know, so me and my mom, she's really cool too. Cause yeah, she's, she's a great, really, really sweet woman. Um, so I'm just very blessed. Yeah. So I did meet him. Yeah. Okay. Meet and that. you got the, the story. I'm not. We're not going to go into it because you got to read the book for that. No, but you got the story. The story or the background of how or or why. Yeah, you know it's fine. I can I can give you some of it. I mean, it's, if you, if you want. I mean, it's it's it was really funny. So my mom lived in Washington D.C. and my my dad and my whole father's side is from D.C. Okay. Right? And I didn't know. I had no idea. So the trip, how I ended up back here. You know, to your earlier question, like how was a Cali kid. It's just like, I just started wandering around and I ended up in DC. I lived in DC 20 years uh, oh, wow. now, but um, whole time not knowing that was my origin, right? And um, so she met my dad, they, you know, he was a fun guy, he was a fun, my dad was a hustler back in the day. He was the guy that was always real fun, had a lot of money. Okay. Like, oh, this is a fun guy. They're going to Atlantic City, going to, you know, and the whole time he was married, right, to someone else. So, oh. so yeah. So when she told him she was pregnant, she had to go to Lorton, which is the, um, the jail, the, the prison. That, you know, he was in jail at the time, and uh, she had to go to Lorton and tell him, "Hey, I'm pregnant." And she looked at the back then you sign a visitor's book and mm -hmm. um, looked. She's like, "Wait, who's this other man?" <laughs> 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 and um, turned out he was married the whole time, and. Um, and so she was really heartbroken. So she fled her, her word, you know, she fled back to California where she was from. But okay. the thing is her dad was racist, right? Her dad was from deep South Texas. Oh, wow. Okay. So racism was just part of his culture. You know? mm -hmm. So bringing a, you know, brown baby into the fold oh. was not gonna be a good look. She wasn't gonna have any support. She's already struggling. You know, I had a, I have a brother who's three years older than me. Um, oh, wow, okay. Um, uh, so he was three and uh, my brother Tony, right? And um, so she was like, she made the decision, you know, and uh, to give me up for it. It was a very hard decision, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. even says on my adoption papers that she was crying, you know, they gave me a little bit of information, you know, that she knitted me a blanket and, you know, but, um, but, uh, so, but I had a resentment, in, I had a big resentment against her. Okay. I can imagine. I can oh, imagine. Man, it was, that's one of the reasons to your to your question, the drugs and the feeling of worthlessness and like how can you just give me away? Like what I do to you? You know, mm -hmm. like was I not good enough? Was I and all this stuff I couldn't have expressed it, but I just was angry. You know what I mean? And it's through work I've done on myself that I can actually even express those things. But I, I didn't know what all I knew is I was angry and um and I internalized it. 
and it, it manifested in self-destructive behavior drugs. did the drugs come before the homelessness or did the homelessness yeah. come okay yeah right. yeah so- it was all me it was my it was, okay <laughs> It was all my consequences of what I did. Yeah, I wasn't a victim. <laughs> <laughs> when when did that? Were you a teenager when you became homeless for the first, the very first time, or so? When- so I was um, so I was introduced to crack when I was eighteen. I was in high school. Okay. And I was working in a pizza parlor, and in in, in Cali, the um, pizza places have uh, bars, right? So. <laughs> So our pizza place had a bartender who was older than us, right? And um, so he was, you know, give me beers and stuff, you know, because I, I always was ready to, to party. And then one day he's like, man, I got some, try this, you know? And I was like, I, you know, whatever, I would do anything, you know? Okay. And I tried it and it was like, you know, you know the story, you know, it's like right. <laughs> every piece of dopamine that was released. It was like, and then I chased that, you know, for years, you know, but, um, but that was, you know, right before my high school graduation. And oh wow! By the time I graduated high school, a couple months later, I was full on. You know, um, I had a rock in my pocket when I walked the stage. You Are know, you I, wow? I was, yeah, I was. I was. I was already typical story. I was gone immediately, and um, so I went to. I graduated high school in June, and I was in rehab by January, the following January. Okay. And I needed to, so I turned 19 in rehab. Mm-hmm. I got out of rehab. I stayed clean about eight or nine months, and uh, which was a miracle for me in my hometown to be not doing anything. And then I relapsed, and um, and you know, so my mom put me out after a while. She's just like, "You got to go," and she should have. I, I don't. <laughs> you don't think? Okay. And, um, and I went to live. Funny, I went to my brother's foster family that he grew up with. They let me stay there for a while. And it was there that I um, got mixed up with, you know, s- some gang stuff and um, um, Cali. I mean, affiliation stuff, not, you know, I wasn't like jumped in. Or, you know, okay. <laughs> is this, so this is around the crack epidemic where a lot of the big gangs are forming. A lot going on. And, um, you know, I do um, rob somebody and, um, we got caught. I'm the world's the world's worst criminal too. In the, like, <laughs> the worst, you know, just dumb. And um, so I went to jail. So I say I turned 19 in rehab and I turned 21 in jail. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, and when I got out of jail, um, I did about three months and they let me go. But I had a felony, you know, after that from that point on. But um, when I got out of jail, um, I was homeless. Like no one, everyone was like, man. She's, you are your own. I was just too much, you know. And um, it's all yeah. That's when I was homeless. And it's just tough to be in your own hometown with like family and people all around you, but you're not welcome, you know. And and my what I tell people when I speak, you know, to groups and stuff, it's like I was a very typical addict. I blamed everybody else, you know. It's like you gave up on me. You get you, and I didn't look at the part I played to put them in that position where they felt like they. You know, I had to kind of treat me like that. And that's when I left California, you know, to make a long story short. That, that's your question. Mm-hmm. I left, you know, I was like, none here. I went up to Seattle for a while. And then um, I came across, I drove across the country to Maryland because a friend of mine had a landscaping company. I was just going to stay here for a while. Okay. <laughs> here. So you were actually still like working, like you would find jobs yeah. even with the, oh, yeah. the yeah. okay. 
that's one thing my mom did was instill a work ethic in me because like I say we were we were poor growing up and I always played basketball so um, if I wanted to join a league it might be like 30 bucks back in the day and she would she said if you earn half I'll put the other half in so I'll go around the neighborhood and sweep or mow lawns or, or whatever and, and earn my half so I always always work always work yeah. And, it, and another thing that I, I noticed, you mentioned this just to kind of go back a little bit. So you said you went to jail. Usually there's a a bunch of instances because eventually you end up in prison. Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is when you had the epiphany. Like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. Did yeah. you end up in the prison system in Maryland or is this yeah. before you okay so yeah, you were DC. Yeah, yeah oh in the deep oh wow okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. That, that, that's what's so funny about the book i'm like how does a kid from the berkeley hills end up in prison in dc in 1901 d street you yeah. know it's like it's like the toughest of possible situations to be in right mm-hmm. so um so yeah so so you're so so i did okay you know out here i i went to computer school you know, most addicts are very high functioning when they're not using, right? Most of us are very intelligent, you know, above average, earning power, you know, all that. It's just we sabotage, right? We self-sabotage. So I would, I would, I would, I would, um, I would, uh, you know, um, you know, achieve, and then I would sabotage. Then I would climb my way back up, and then I'd sabotage because at the end of the day, I didn't feel like I deserved anything good. So. Um, so yeah, so I ended up working for America Online back in the '90s, AOL. Oh wow, AOL, you got mail, okay? <laughs> yeah, so ground floor, you know, '94, you know, and um, and uh, and I, I was there for a couple of years, but um, when I started using again, all that money, you know, the more money you make, the more you're going to use. So um, I ended up getting fired from AOL, you know, for threatening a guy. So I invited this guy outside. You know, because I was also hustling on the streets in D.C., right? This is how crazy it was. You were working, wait a minute, so you were working at AOL and yeah. hustling? Yeah, yeah, in Northeast. Um, okay, okay. Northeast, yep. That's how stupid I was, right? Again, I'm from the Berkeley Hills. Okay. I no, no call to be hustling in D.C. That's why I love God so much. He just looked out for me. He's like, I was going to look out for you, man, you know, because um, I thought I was big and bad enough, you know, and um. But see, I would that's think, a rough area. That, yeah, that was yeah, it was rough. It was rough. I I, I still look back like what? <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> what? What was I thinking? So, but um, but I so the thing was, I would bring that street mentality into AOL, the corporate mm-hmm. world, right? And okay. so, this, you know, there's a bunch of you know computer guys in there, you know, and and that's really who I am too. I'm a nerd, you know, but I was trying to be someone I wasn't, you know, and um. But I thought I was tough, you know. And I did one day this guy who was like said something slick, you know. I was like, "What? Don't you want to go outside or something?" <laughs> 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 you know? And right around, I was like, "You know, I can't let him carry me, you know." But in the corporate world, they don't go outside, they right? They call the police. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Well, they, they did that bad, but they did fire me, and security did walk me out, you know. Oh. And um, at that point, it was like. You know, I went back, I drove back to D.C. and um, I was like, you know, I did it again. I blew it again. You know, this is what my life's going to be. I'm just a loser, you know, and I just at that point, 
I just I got hooked on everything. Hey, that's when I started heroin, like okay, and that's what the heroin was. What I mean, that thing that that had me out there robbing people. You know, like I say, dumbest criminal in the world. I would go to Capitol Hill in D.C. Rob, oh. no mask. Okay, so, you know, just it, it, I lasted about a month. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then the Capitol. The, the U.S. Capitol Police, they did an investigation. They're like, because the people in Capitol Hill, they're, they're not going for that, you know. And, um, so they, they caught me one day. And um, it's funny, when I got arrested, my overwhelming emotion was relief. You know? And that's crazy, right? Because something, it was something that to stop you from pretty yeah. much injuring yourself. Yeah, because I was, I was, you know, I was gone. So I was arrested. I went to jail and I, I um, that's when I started seeking a higher power, you know, because I was facing 30 years of life. <laughs> I was like, if there's wow. a job, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was facing a lot of time, you know, and I wasn't raised in any religion, but, you know, in DC jail, at least at the time, there were Christians and Muslims, right? That's what there were. And I was looking at both of them like, ah, you know, and um, there's a whole experience. I know we're kind of running out of time here, but there's a whole experience I had that persuaded me to, you know, um, to the, you know, Jesus. You know, and, I, and so I ended up doing about four years. I got out and I um, did okay for about a year. And then I started using again. And I went back on a parole violation in 06. And DC jail was overcrowded. So they sent about 100 DC guys up to Moshannon Valley, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. It was okay. actually a deportation center. There was a thousand guys up there getting ready to get deported. Mostly like the Salvador, Honduras, you know, a lot of MS-13 or well, I think it's, I don't remember the numbers, but gangs, you know, a lot of uh, Latino gangs up there. They sent 100 DC guys up into that mix, oh. which might seem like a good idea on paper, but like DC is known for one thing in the prison system. Like they're going to try to take over. Like they're going to fight. They're going to team up and coalesce together, drop all the neighborhood beefs and fight you, you know, and that's exactly what happened. Now, again, there's a thousand of them and a hundred of us. <laughs> okay. <Number> one. <laughs> I have enough trouble beating one man. Ten is never gonna happen. But um, right. A uh, riot jumped off, and um, you know, I was unharmed. Another grace of God again. Okay. Um, I killed, but there were some serious. You know, a couple of people got got poked up and you know beat down real bad. And again, I was. That's in the that's in the book too. You know, that's okay. it's funny, but um, not at the time, but it, it's funny now. But um, uh, but it was then that I said, you know what. <laughs> Something got changed. Like, <laughs> you know, like this is not you know, for me. There's been gunshots. There's been alleyways. There's been so I was like, you know what, you know, and that. So that's when in '07 I really started to turn my life around, and I went to a long-term treatment. Okay. And, but it's not. How long did you stay? Did was it? Did you do a couple of years, or was this like a short? Treatment? Yes. Um, it was like 18 months. Okay. But I relapsed a couple times during those 18 months and then I, I got clean in 09 and I was clean for two and a half years, which was good because my mom died in 2011. So she at least she got those two and a half years. Okay. That I was an asset because she had changed too. Like it got a lot better, you know, mm-hmm. both ways. But, um, but then I got married in 2012 and moved up here to Laurel. And three months after I got married, I relapsed. And oh wow! Okay. I had been going to you know AA, and I had a support system. When I got married, I said, "Okay, thanks, I'm good." And I found out that for me, I need 
the support. I need, for me, I like the 12 step uh, model and the, the meetings and stuff. Like that's a really good support for me. So I, to this day, I, I do, I go to Zoom meetings now because we can't go to meetings, you know? So, yeah. But, um, but my point is, is that um, Friday the 13th of 2012 um, was my last time. You know, I have, I thank God I haven't found it necessary to pick up anything, drink or a drug since it's been over eight years now. So um, congratulations. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It truly is a day at a time. I know it's a cliche, but you know, it's, it's truly just a day. I got us today. It takes all the pressure off. Right. But, um, but in my fifth year, we found my birth mother, my wife really found her. She just, you know, she saw that it was, I was still like broken and not there's still you know there's just always going to be this thing over our lives you know she's like give me this information she just went she did it on her was like that's your mom you know basically <laughs> that's two weeks but that's and um i was like oh okay hopefully and then we contacted her she was cool we stalked her on facebook a little bit before we you know to see what kind of person she was like is she a trump supporter like, like, <laughs> You know, down with you know Kaepernick and that whole thing that was going that was going on back then, and I was like, oh, okay, okay, she's cool people, and I've just been very fortunate. You know, both sides of the family are very cool; they're very welcoming. Those those reuniting stories can go either way, you know. Yeah. But mine has been a, a really amazing outcome, and that's what pushed me to finish the book, you know. And um, and so that's that's my story, you know. So here we are. I want to ask you. So you you became a minister. Yeah. Um, so you eventually became a minister, which means that you overcame your struggles of, of childhood trauma. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, did religion find, because I know a lot of people, that's how they they cope. Did religion find you or did you find religion? <laughs> it's funny. I, I feel there was always something in me that I knew someone was watching over me. Even when I was a little kid, it's just crazy. I really feel God just gave me this sort of, this thing where I just knew I didn't have to conjure it up or like I just knew there's oh you're watching me you know and so I just knew I couldn't you know I had no religious training or anything I just knew and then as I got closer and closer to my bottom before I got arrested I would drop in on bible studies just I'd be high and everything but I, there was something just pulling me in to, to I just was seeking you know <laughs> and then, like I said when I was facing that 30 years and I started really seeking, you know, and then I had an experience that really cemented, you know, that God has always been talking to me, you know, and I just wasn't recognizing, you know, his voice, but he's always been giving me messages, you know, and um, and so, so yeah, so that's, you know, and then I got formal, you know, I went to Bible college and I got licensed and ordained and, and all that, but I'm not you know, religious, like I don't Bible thump, you know, okay. you know who am I to, you know, like, you know, my background, I'm like, you know, who am I to judge anybody or, you know, I just know what's, what's sort of, you know, work for me. And I know that God loves everybody as if they were, you know, his only child, you know, and that's what's so awesome about him. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know the answer to your question. I think, I think religion found religion found you, <laughs> you know, but I think that God found, definitely found me. And then when I was, when I was ready, he was, uh, he was just there. It's like, yep. Been waiting for you. You know, so yeah, like he knew he knew you were coming. Eventually, you, you yeah. were gonna come. <laughs> so you meant that that brings up a, a good point. So right now, you were able to overcome something that a lot of people are struggling with, especially yeah. now in COVID. People are yeah. home; they're thinking yeah. about 
all the things that are happening. You have domestic abuses on the rise, yeah. racial tension, political tension, addiction is up, suicide is up. Yes. What can you tell people who may be listening to really help them kind of find that joy to be able to have that mm-hmm. moment of turning everything mm-hmm. around? Well, I think for me, and this is going to be a very weird answer, but for me, when I got honest with God, because I was mad at him too, you know, and so I was like, why did you create me just to suffer? I was like, this is supposed to be really funny to you. You know, this is a great joke. I cussed him out. I, you know, like I did everything I could to get him to kill me. I was like, well, I'm going to piss God off so bad that he's just going to kill me, you know? And so, and so my, my point is to those who are feeling hopeless, who are, you know, is to just be honest with whoever you think might be out there, you know, it was God or you know, whoever you worship, just let it out, you know, because I feel like when I did that, he was like, okay, I knew that's how you felt, but now you're being real with me. Now we can work. Now we can, you know, now we can do something, you know, don't fake it. If you're mad, be mad. If you're sad, cry, you know, if you, you know, don't fake it like it's all good, you know, and we also need each other, right? We okay. need each other. It's not just this, but it's also God put us all down here together, right? Mm-hmm. There's a story in the Bible real quick about this guy, Lazarus, who Jesus called from the tomb, right? He's like, Lazarus, you know, um, come forth, you know, <laughs> and, and Lazarus he came forth, you know, and, and the Bible says he was in his grave clothes, right? He's still wrapped up in his grave clothes. And the funny thing is, is that Jesus commanded the people around him to remove, he was like, y'all remove his grave clothes, right? And that never really, but he could have just said grave clothes drop, right? I mean, he's, right. he already called him from the dead. Right? Right. How, he, how he told the people around him to help him, which tells me that we are around each other. God uses us to help each other. So that depression, that iso- that, um, that that loneliness, that anger, it loves isolation, and it loves isolation. So if you gotta force yourself, like like connect with somebody, get on Zoom, connect, like even that person, your your family member that you're beefing with or whatever, just you gotta have a human connection because otherwise you just you just wrap around your own head and your own thoughts and you just get trapped in there. And, and and I guess the last thing I will say on that is, is like trouble shared is trouble halved, right? So when you share it, it somehow just speaking it, like like we're talking to each other, like I feel great now. I just, I just gave you 45 minutes of, <laughs> right? Um, and so, but that thing just, just it, it, it dissipates, it starts to dissipate. It's not all here, it just magnifies when you're just thinking about it, thinking about it, things just magnify, but when you share it, it seems to just kind of like, you know, be relieved. So, so make, making sure that you are open, honest, and you can't heal necessarily by yourself. Thank you for summarizing. So, <laughs> my, my ramblings. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, I want you to tell everybody. So, to read your book. So, if you're someone who's kind of struggling, you you feel that loneliness. You just, you're not sure and you want a story of overcoming because you've really truly done that. You are now a motivational speaker. You are a minister. You have a family. You have really turned everything around. Where can people find your book and tell them about your website so that they can reach out to get a copy of this book? 
Sure, I, I appreciate it. So my website is jamesmleblanc.com and um, uh, uh, it's also available on Amazon. The book is called The Miracle. It's available anywhere, Barnes and Nobles, any of those outlets, you know. Um, if you're looking for it, this is what it looks like. <laughs> That's the cover, The Miracle, James M. LeBlanc. Um, it's a really nice cover too. It's, it, you can't really see it, but it's really cool. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, if, if you go to my website and order it, I'll sign it and write a message in there and, and ship it out to you. <laughs> Hopefully it'll come before <laughs> Before, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it'll come come soon but yeah but it's available in, in any of those outlets and as well as on my website james m leblanc there's a country singer named james leblanc he's just in my way right now like you type in james leblanc he, that's I, not me no okay <laughs> you know, you know so you gotta go james m leblanc.com i was gonna ask you about that because he did pop up i was like yep. oh okay in my way okay. <laughs> <laughs> i was like he's a musician also he's awesome so so i want to thank you so much for coming i've i've learned so much and i feel so inspired i hope that all of our listeners feel inspired as well so make sure you go out and get the miracle you will be inspired from reading this book he has all of the steps that he took to get to where he is today. So thank you so much for coming on Millennials Anonymous. We appreciate you for being here. And for sending the book. It's it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes, you gotta have me on again. I I will. I think we we will certainly do that. But I do appreciate you coming. Thanks so much to everybody for listening to another episode of Millennials Anonymous Podcast. We love you. Make sure if this is the first time you're listening to the episode, you go like and subscribe on all social media. So it's just Millennials Anonymous. You have to put a Z on it or you will not find us. So it's just Millennials Anonymous on podcast on Instagram and on IG. So make sure you go and find us there so you can find out when new stuff is dropping and new episodes are going to air and shows that we're going to have on Maps Media. So do that. Also make sure you go to YouTube and like and subscribe there because we have videos that drop live videos and stuff like that. Make sure you do and that's Maps. So Maps on YouTube. And also make sure you're liked and subscribe on all major podcasts and platforms. Okay, so you can listen. I want to give a big thank you to Mr. James LeBlanc or author James LeBlanc for coming through to the platform. I appreciate people who are not necessarily of our platform that come to our platform. So I appreciate what is going down here. I appreciate his knowledge, the information he gives us and being very open. So I love to see that. And stay tuned because we're going to be talking to Young Deuces of the Geek Set podcast in the upcoming week. And then we're going to have a couple of other guests. So stay. I can't say anything yet. I told you I would tell you next week, but I can't. I can't tell you yet. But trust me, when I tell you, you're going to be excited about it. So make sure that you are tuned in for that because we're going to get a lot of business information out. And we are also going to have... Another guest coming through to give you some more business knowledge. I can't think of their names right now. I feel very bad, but I will get it to you. I will get it to you. So make sure you stay tuned in. We got a lot happening. We appreciate you. We love you. Stay safe out there. Come back again next week. Have some laughs with us. 
Oh, yes. And before I say bye, shout out to our people on WPIR 98.4 FM and WRDR. Now I can say it. Bye.